Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's now time to enter the Sports Zone with your host, Bob Kemp. Worrying about Micah Parsons, they've got other good players to hurt you. Here's Dobbs with room to the edge, and Joshua Dobbs gallops down the sideline, makes the cut inside the 30. 43 yards for Joshua Dobbs. Punch this in on this drive. Time is going to become their chief opponent here pretty soon. Two chances to get it in here. Prescott looking in zone. That one's picked off. It's Kaiser White. What chances you have rely on this play. Fourth and seven. Eight and change remaining. Got to convert it. Nice. Scadaboo's the answer. He's the answer. Look at him go. Scadaboo. Scadakin. Scada touchdown. An official game. Got him. Fastball right down the middle. Gallon challenged him and he won. He beat LeMayhew for strikeout number seven. Stanford rushes three. So DeWar has whoa, he had some time. Breaks away from Bailey. And then flips it out of bounds. And that did not again. Did that get to the line of scrimmage? Wow. But look at that. That's a more significant outcome. Delora just trying to create something as Bailey's chasing him. Oh, yeah. And it's Cooper who kind of trips him up there at the end. Turner Yell makes the stop in the secondary for Denver. First and ten. The fake. Good block in there. And down it goes. Caught at the 30. This is the dynamic hill. He's in for six. Tyreek Hill. Touchdown. Dolphins are in that company. That's regular season. Second down and two. A-chain, big hole. Turns it on, accelerating. You can kiss him goodbye. 69 points on a 67-yard touchdown run by A-chain. His second rushing touchdown and his fourth today. Third and goal for Cincinnati. Higgins at the bottom of your screen. Burrow, pressure coming, looking for Higgins. He's got it! Touchdown! Players not plays, and the player there is T. Higgins. Third and long, Mayfield off his back foot. Once Mike Evans, got Mike Evans! Touchdown, Tampa! As the last play of the game. Give it to him, train it up the middle. He's in! Touchdown, Ohio State. They walk it off at Notre Dame Stadium. Second and nine. Jordan Travis throwing in a single coverage. And the catch made. They keep firing those jump balls. And that time, Keon Coleman brought it down for the touchdown. Dial 602-260-1060. That's 602-260-1060. Or tweet the show at KDUSAM1060. And now, here's your sports own guide, Bob Kemp, on KDUSAM1060. Welcome to the Bundy September 25th edition of the Sports Zone. Not just the news and scores, the news and scores with analysis. In today's Sports Zone, right here on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7, the Cardinals, which unit was most impressive? 
the Sun Devils, are you encouraged? The Diamondbacks, what must it do this week? Uh, meanwhile, the Wildcats, have they been uh, in really impressive in any area? NFL week number three, what stood out other than the Dolphins' 70 points? Around college football, how about those Buckeyes? And what else caught your eye since our last show? Here's today's schedule lineup on the show, which is the most informative sports talk Monday through Friday. In moments, we have the introduction of today's pipeline. At 9.15 or so, a Bengals and Rams preview with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer. Will Joe Burrow play? 9.30, interactive action at 602-260-1060. And also the local roundup, that local roundup he tried to say. That will include more Cardinals analysis of the stunning victory against the Cowboys, if, assuming you think it was stunning. Uh, and the final segment of the sports zone will be the national roundup. That will be topped by the latest line. Then after the sports zone from 10 to noon, it's the Extra Point hosted by Cale. That will include more NFL and college football weekend analysis. On to the pipeline we go. Time for today's pipeline, where the host reveals the hot topics for discussion. And we start with the KDUS poll question at KDUS1060.com. And today's question is, which Cardinals unit impressed you the most on Sunday in the win against the Cowboys? And Kayla is here and has the early returns. That I do. Defense out in front here, 67% of the vote, offense trailing at 33%. Arizona won for the first time in the Monty Austinfort slash Jonathan Gannon era on Sunday. They led from start to finish for the most part in the 28-16 victory against the Cowboys, who were 12-point favorites, and the Cowboys had not trailed for one second over the first two weeks during their wins against the Giants and the Jets. Meanwhile, today's Twitter poll question, are you encouraged about ASU the rest of the season after the competitive loss uh, to USC? And Kayla, what's going on here? No. Out in front, 60% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 40% at KDOS AM 1060. Kenny Dillingham called plays for the first time, and he tried everything from trick plays to onside kicks. More importantly, he got his excellent trio of offensive playmakers involved. That's when the injury replacement offensive line when, uh, line was uh, not allowing one of 14 plays that resulted in tackles for a loss on Saturday night. Also on the local front, the Diamondbacks have seven days to reach the postseason. The Diamondbacks begin today's rainout makeup game at Yankee Stadium in the final wild card spot, one game ahead of the Marlins. What must the Diamondbacks do to maintain its current playoff position? Meanwhile, the U of A won on the road for just the second time in three seasons under Jeff Fish, um, but it did lose starting quarterback Jaden Delore to injury and at least four other starters to injury during the 21-20 victory at Stanford, which no question has the lowest amount of talent of any Pac-12 team. Has the U of A been impressive? They're 3-1, and one, but they have they really been impressive in any area during this 3-1 and one start to begin the regular season? Meanwhile, Spain, the Globe, 70.70. Uh, That's what the Dolphins did on Sunday. Uh, they also had 726 yards in that 70-20 to 20 win against the 0-3 Broncos, whose coach Sean Payton was at a loss for words at the end of the game. 
What stood out to you during Sunday's NFL Week 3 action? Or in some cases, some of those games didn't have much action at all, quite frankly. Meanwhile, the weekend, uh, the week I should say, the NFL weekends tonight with two more games. Philadelphia, Tampa, and the Rams are at Cincinnati. Who you got tonight? Eagles at Buccaneers and Rams at Bengals. Meanwhile, college football this Saturday, we expected a lot of uh, interesting games, and I think that certainly happened. That include Ohio State's final second win at Notre Dame, which didn't have 10 men in the field in the final two plays of the game. Uh, they had 10 guys in the field, and not just the last play, but also the next to last play. And Florida State ended Clemson's ACC home field winning streak earlier in the day. Which team really you know, scored the most important victory, do you think, on Saturday in college football? Also, in addition to all these excellent questions and topics, what else caught your eye since our last show all the way back to Friday? All right, that's uh, the pipeline for the day. We'll get to all these tremendous topics and much more during today's sensational radio program. Anything else on your mind falls into the general discussion category. So whether it is from the pipeline or a sports topic on your mind, 602-260-1060, or you can tweet the show at KDUSAM1060 or twitter.com slash KDUSAM1060. Basically, the only rules are accuracy and objectivity. If you violate those rules or if you're just simply bad, you will be the target of this. Coming up next, Corey, we'll have a news update. That'll be followed by a Bengals update, uh, including will Joe Burrow play tonight? Do we know that yet? Uh, we'll find out. That and more. Bengals information, whether it be the offensive line, whether it be the defensive backfield, specifically the safety position. Why are they 0-2? and two? And it's not all just the Joe Burrow situation. Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer scheduled to join us in the next segment. Once again, at the bottom of the hour, we'll have a kind of a makeshift local roundup. I'll explain that when I get to it, but uh, we'll make it through. And plenty of phone call time at the bottom of the hour if you want to jump aboard. 602-260-1060, general discussion at that point. You're listening to Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUSAM 1060 and KSLX HD 2 100.7. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KSLX HD2 100.7. You're home with the Dan Patrick Show, live Monday through Friday from 6 to 9 a.m. The Bengals look to avoid a 0-3 start tonight against the Rams. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports zone by Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Enquirer. And there, hello, Charlie. Are you there, Charlie? Hello. No, no, Charlie? Okay. All right, we'll try to re-hook up with Charlie. We had him on hold there at one point, so hopefully we'll try to be able to pull this off with Charlie and uh, not get the ringtone thing or whatever that is, the busy signal, I guess that is. I don't, you know, I'm old enough that I remember a busy signal from back in the day before cell phones and actually had real phones and 
so forth, even though I'm sure that most people think that cell phones are real phones. All right, we'll get to the Bengals here in a second. Okay, this second is right now. Charlie Goldsmith joins us from the Cincinnati Enquirer. And, Charlie, good to have you on the show once again. We appreciate it. Uh, let's start uh, with, obviously, the top story here. Uh, what do we know about Joe Burrow's status for tonight? Joe Burrow's been pushing the play. The hope was that the extra day with the long week gave him some extra time to get some workouts and also some rest and recovery with the schedule that they've been going through. I don't have an answer yet. I know the Bengals need him. I know the Bengals need the game. But it's also a thing they don't want to risk the long-term future of the season uh, just to win one game. So that's been a tough calculus they've been working through. Okay. So, you know, if Jake Browning is a starting quarterback, you know, what might he bring to the table and how obviously uh, might that change the offensive approach? So they like Browning. Uh, they brought Browning for a reason. But Browning had a very poor preseason and a very up-and-down training camp. You very much have to limit the playbook if he's in. He's been turnover-prone. He doesn't have a big arm. He will give you a scrambling element that Burrow hasn't been giving the Bengals since he's been hurt, since he's been limited. Um, from what we saw in camp, he loves throwing. Browning does um, out to Jamar and T, slants to Jamar and T, and uh, back shoulder balls down the sideline. Doesn't test the middle of the field as much between the safeties. Um, they'll probably have to lean on the run game a bunch as well, but hey, it'll be Browning's first start if he gets the opportunity, and that'll have a lot of unknowns that come with it. Okay. The offensive line, you know, we've been talking to it for a couple years here, off and on, over the you know, situation. Yeah, they thought they got better last year. They did get a little bit better last year in some areas. Uh, hasn't worked out particularly well, at least from afar. That's me being from afar. Uh, the first couple of weeks, how would you evaluate this offensive line situation? I think the offensive line has been really good. I think that the reason they lost to the Browns was because Burrow couldn't grip the ball. And, you know, with him being limited, his throws down the field weren't anywhere near the level we're used to seeing. Um, and then in week two, what you saw was a Burrow who wasn't as comfortable moving around the pocket, a Ravens defense that did a good job taking away explosives. Um, overall, I think the line's done their job. I put more of the Bengals' struggles on Burrow than the line. Again, I think this is by mm -hmm. far the best line that Burrow has played with. Part of the, 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 the crazy thing about the 0-2 season is the reason they are 0-2 is because one of the best players in the NFL is just looking average because he's limited. And that's something the Bengals need to change when they get Burrow back. So might we see more or at least an attempt to you know, run the ball or can, can, are they able to run the ball with, with success tonight against the Rams? I don't know. They don't know because we haven't seen them practice it. They have built this entire offense around Burrow specifically uh, because it's Burrow's preference and Burrow's strength. They almost exclusively line up in shotgun. I saw them attempt you know, a couple handfuls full of pure under center runs, even during practice during the summer. They're not a team that's built to be a ground and pound up the middle. They signed Linden for their pass protection and their ability to play in a shotgun run team, not to play like, you know, uh, you know the Cleveland Browns with Nick Chubb when he was healthy or a team like that. Uh, that's not what the Bengals assembled this offense to do. But it'll be a big challenge um, if they need to really lean on their run game because it's not something they've done a lot of. Okay, that run game, obviously, Joe Mixon's uh, the lead running back. 
how would you evaluate his, you know, not just this year, but really the last couple of years, how would you evaluate him as a running back? He's had to evolve because the Bengals have evolved. In Zach Taylor's first year, they were this under-center running team. Um, Mixon led the AFC in rushing that year, but they were the worst team in football and drafted Joe Burrow. And since then, everything has evolved around Burrow. Again, the shotgun run game as well. Probably not Mixon's favorite. He probably prefers kind of an old-school running back kind of role. Uh, but when you have Joe and Jamar and T and Tyler Boyd, that's not the world you live in. I think Mixon's first two games this year – were, you know, when you if you compare those to his games last year, they would have been two of his best games last year. He's looked powerful. He's made guys miss. He's run through tackles. He's averaging over, I think, like 4.4 yards per carry. But again, they're not the type of team that's been giving Mixon 25 carries, one, because they've been falling behind, and two, because they need to lean on Burrow anyway. So again, what Mixon in a run-first offense would look like is a mystery to everyone. Talking Bengals with Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Of course, the Bengals play tonight, one of the two Monday night games. And uh, tonight at home against uh, the uh, against the Los Angeles Rams. All right, let's uh, go to the defensive side of the ball. How would you evaluate the defense through the first two games? Not good enough. Uh, the, the game they played against the Ravens would have stacked up basically worse than any game they played last year. Definitely worse than any game they played last year when they were at full strength. When the Bengals have had their number one corner, Shobi Uje, and their really star nose tackle, DJ Reader, the defense has historically been a top five unit in football. And then the Ravens ran all over the Bengals with a backup line and backup running back. And uh, Lamar Jackson played incredibly last week and had some big completions over the middle. I think specifically you're looking at the back seven. There were some plays where the linebackers were out of position, some plays the safeties were too quick to recover in. Also, the pass rush didn't win enough double teams, uh, specifically Trey Hendrickson against the backup left tackle he was going up against last week. So not good enough for a unit that had the expectation and the goal to be one of the best defenses in football this year. How do you think they match up against Matthew Stafford, who's actually, you know, his arm strength has been very impressive in the first two games? Well, that's the thing. Matthew Stafford is the kind of defense to where, like, they had Jesse Bates and Von Bell, the veteran, savvy, smart, um, one step ahead safety tandem, they matched up perfectly against a guy like Matthew Stafford who makes late decisions and is incredibly aggressive over the middle. This is going to be the biggest test that the Bengals' new safety duo, Dax Hill and Nick Scott, have faced. Um, again, we haven't seen them face a quarterback like this, one of the, the big new areas of this team. And I think they match up well wide receiver or corners on wide receivers are like the quarterback group in this matchup. But what can Matthew Stafford do over the middle against the Bengals back seven that has moving pieces that are still jealous? Yeah, I was gonna ask you specifically about you know the absence of Bates and Bell. Uh you know, obviously those are two really good safeties. You got into that a little bit, but you know, how would you rate uh, the replacements basically at the safety position through two games? I actually think Dak Hill, their first-round pick in 2022, has played really well. Nice pass breakup on Mark Andrews, been in position in deep coverage down the field. I like him as a blitzer. Probably some room to grow as a run defender. Uh, and Nick Scott, definitely some room to grow as a run defender. He's given up some completions over the middle of the field. His instincts just not quite as 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 they're putting him in position. I'm imagining a second and 23 ball to Mark Andrews over the middle last week in Baltimore that kind of got completed right in front of him. 
Um, they, it's a faster group. They, the goal and the plan was that they'd be more versatile and create more turnovers. But uh, Jesse and Vaughn weren't really Jesse and Vaughn until the middle of the 2021 season, uh, kind of, will that be 20 games into their working together? And Nick Scott and Dax Hill are three games, two games into working together, and tonight will be number three. Okay, Lou uh, Anarumo, uh, I would assume uh, that he's got some kind of you know scheme or thought process worked uh, to go against what's not uh, considered to be a really strong Rams offensive line. Yeah, um, if the Bengals had won the Super Bowl, I think it would have been a legendary game plan that Anarumo came up with against the Rams' run game probably the best individual run game defense I've seen with what he did against the Rams in 2021. Similar scheme, similar personnel, same front four. They know what they're doing in that area. Uh, Like you mentioned, a big question on the Rams offensive line. This is going to be the type of game where a guy like Trey Henderson, a two-time pro bowler, has to make a bigger impact than he's made in the first two games this season. Just winning one-on-one matchups and beating double teams. Previewing tonight's Bengals and Rams game with uh, Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Uh, when you have a quarterback situation or if you have a key player out, oftentimes, you know, some good special teams play can, you know, kind of sway things, sway things a little bit back towards your direction. Uh, are the Bengals capable of doing that tonight? So after the 2021 season, the special teams coordinator said he felt like something the Bengals needed was a punt returner who put the fear of God in the other team. And then heading into 2022, they didn't get it. They just had this backup slot receiver, your your prototypical catch the ball, hand it back to the referee type of punt returner. Well, then this year they drafted a kid out of Purdue, Charlie Jones, electric breakaway speed. He returned a punt for a touchdown against the Ravens. He's athletic with the ball in his hands. He makes great cuts. He's been making kind of some good adjustments with the way he leaves the field in those situations. So he does give them that element that they really didn't have before. Uh, as far as the fan base, uh, how the you know expectations were high. So obviously, there's the Burrow injury, but how are they handling the zero and two start in Cincinnati? I think they're way more concerned about the cast. The Bengals this year is all about winning the Super Bowl, and the the idea originally was that they would run through their regular season schedule and take the one seed. Obviously, when you're zero and two, it's very very difficult to take that spot. I think everyone now kind of the vibe is. The Bengals are a team that's good enough to sneak into the playoffs and beat anyone, anywhere. So uh, the vibe overall is the the perspective and the stakes and the urgency of the regular season have changed because of the games they've lost. Um, But overall, it's just, you know, from the fan base, concern about Burrow and whether or not physically he's the quarterback right now that they need him to be. How difficult might it be or might a difficult – uh, you know the the, the improved division. Uh, that uh, how how much more difficult is that uh, uphill climb because of that uh, you know, group of four teams now in the uh, AFC North. So, having watched every game Burrow Burrow's played, I think the three defenses in the entire NFL that give them the most trouble are the Steelers, the Browns, and the Ravens. Um, they make <laughs> things hard with T.J. Watt, Miles Garrett. Baltimore has the way they weaponize their linebackers. Uh, the Steelers have really aggressive defensive backs. Uh, the Ravens kind of limit you over the top and prevent the Bengals from beating them deep. They've all figured, not figured some stuff out, but they've done stuff consistently that's worked pretty well against the Bengals. 
This year, part of the big story of the year is the Bengals adjusting back. They went 3-3 three and three in the division last year. Obviously, they're off to an 0-2 start this year. Uh, they have to do better in those matchups in their division games. Going back specifically to tonight, what are a couple other keys for a you know, game against the Rams this evening? Um, you know, overall, just kind of a kind of a cliche, uh, but they've fallen behind so you know by double by double digits so early in these games, and they've had to get away from the style they originally anticipated themselves playing um, in a game where you probably should rely more on your running game. I think that creates even more urgency to. Uh, Make sure you don't have to make that type of shift with your game plan. Okay, not to you know, be redundant here, but you, know, you mentioned this, the, the style that they originally kind of want to play a game out. What, what is the kind of the perfect offensive blueprint for the Bengals, at least? Let's assume that Burrow doesn't play tonight. What would you expect to be the blueprint to try to get a victory here? Well, these Rams corners are very, very unknown and unproven and there is no situation whatsoever where no matter who's throwing the ball, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase shouldn't win one-on-one matchups. So looking at Browning's strength, operating the offense, um, back shoulder balls on the sidelines, out, uh, slant over the middle of screen, find the way to get the ball in these guys' hands quickly, probably add in some play action where you have Browning roll out and like give Chase and Higgins time to get open. Those kind of plays can still work for the Bengals. They still worked in camp when Browning was their quarterback and Burrow was out. So that'll probably be the formula today if he starts. Okay, fully understanding the uh, yeah, the Burrow uncertain here, and there's, even if he plays, there's no guarantee. Unfortunately, he's going to make it through the game. Uh, so, do you expect the the Bengals to win the game tonight? I think they're not the team that they've looked like over the first two weeks of the season defensively. I think the receivers match up really well against the Rams corners. For that reason, I see the Bengals being able to do enough and pull out a 17-16 win. Charlie, good stuff as always. I appreciate it. Thanks. I know that uh, I'm sure you're in hot demand with the the Burrow injury and so forth. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you. Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer. Excellent stuff there as always. I'm sure Pac-12 fans will remember. In fact, the last time the Pac-12 made it to the college football uh, playoff, uh, Mr. Browning was the quarterback at the University of Washington. They had no chance in that game, unfortunately, but at least they made the college football playoff, and then Alabama just completely dominated that game from start to finish. I was actually in the press box in uh, uh, State Farm Stadium watching that game before Ohio State got drilled by Clemson a little later on that night. Uh, but uh, you know it was uh, you know it was not exactly the best semifinal games of the CFP that particular year. Two kind of no contest games in the semifinals. But Browning did a really good job to get them to that game, and uh, he does have some qualities. He was very accurate in college. As Charlie mentioned, not a whole lot of arm strength, or maybe hardly any arm strength, quite frankly. Uh, and he is mobile, so I don't know if uh, that was a few years ago. I assume he's still mobile, so we'll see. But he's uh, had close to zero NFL experience at this point of his NFL career, at least. All right, next segment. Phone call time, folks, if you want to get aboard. And it's going to have to be full disclosure time here. Unfortunately, I had uh, spent a couple hours this morning uh, doing the local roundup segment, and somehow I lost the entire copy for that. So we'll try to uh, 
For my end, do a little bit on the Cardinals, fake my way through some notes. If we have time, we'll get to some USC. But if you'd like to get in general discussion, whether it be you know ASU from Saturday night against USC, the Cardinals yesterday, anything sports-related for the most part, 602-260-1060. This is a kind of the uh, maybe you can bail Bob out a little bit segment here because he's apparently in up to computer, not apparently. We've established that many years ago. Uh, but we'll get to as much as we can in this next segment, which is still going to be called the Local Roundup to some extent. 602-260-1060. Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. It's time for today's local roundup. Welcome back to the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and Castlex HD 2 100.7. In addition to the local roundup, it is phone call time to the KDUS hotline if you want to get in. We got time and room for you right now, 602-260-1060. If you're on hold, we'll get to you in just a second. If you're not on hold, we have time for more if you'd like to get in, 602-260-1060. All right, so uh, also uh, let's uh, get to the little local roundup here. The Cardinals, uh, they were, as it turned out, at game time down to 12-point favorites uh, yesterday against the uh, offensively line-depleted Cowboys, which is, you know, the the line was actually 13-and-a-half as uh, late as Saturday night, and then we kind of found out on Saturday that Zach Martin probably wasn't going to play. Uh, I don't know if we knew. I didn't know that Tyron Smith wasn't going to play. He was actually active for the game and dressed uh, in uniform, but uh, the left tackle uh, not able to go, and also Taylor Briotish, the starting center. We had a pretty good idea on Friday that he wasn't going to play, but I don't think at any point we thought all three of those guys, because I didn't know about Smith at all until yesterday. As I mentioned, he was actually – Healthy enough to be in uniform. Uh, I didn't ever heard. I did not hear an official thing, but I assume he was basically an emergency only if they lost an offense, more offensive lineman situation. Uh, but uh, those things were working against Dallas. But the Cardinals, really from start to finish, second play of the game, Josh Dobbs ran for 44 yards, and uh, it was uh, uh, really from start to finish. And really, the finish was the Kaiser White. White's, by the way, I think been the Cardinals' best player this season uh, through three games. He got the interception in the end zone to kind of clinch it against Dak in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it was the uh, first win of the uh, Jonathan Gannon, Monty Austinfort era. And, uh, you know, Austinfort was uh, at the uh, at the uh, end of the uh, where the Cardinals run out of the tunnel or run in the tunnel after the game. He was on the field at the end of the game and shaking pretty much everybody's hand, including Gannon. And then he waited last for Josh Dobbs because Dobbs did the on-field post-game interview with the uh, television network, and uh, yeah, that was uh, kind of the you know, the last of the, uh, the kind of the victory parade there for the Cardinals as they beat the Cowboys yesterday. The Cardinals unable to finish in the fourth quarter in the first two games. They led in the fourth quarter of those first two games, the loss at Washington and the loss at home to the Giants. They got scored in those two fourth quarters, 27-0, but yesterday they win the fourth quarter. They hang on to win the contest and get, that, as I mentioned, the first win of the Austin Fort. And uh, Jonathan Gannon era, one other thing, Booty Baker, 
uh, not in uniform, obviously, on the, you know, on injured reserve. And he was, uh, I don't know, I think it was a wrap. I don't think it was a brace, but he has hamstring wrapped up and you know, he was protected. But he was uh, visibly excited on the field after the game and part of the, uh, you know, the uh, little the, the victory party, so to speak, for the Cardinals as they win their first game of the season. All right, on to the phone lines we go, and uh, let's go to Monroe and Glendale. Hi, Monroe. Hello, Bob. What's up? Um, I am trying to – I picked Cincinnati to go to the Super Bowl, and I'm trying to understand this, the strategy they have. If I understood your guess correctly, they built everything around passing the ball, including preferring offensive linemen who are past block-oriented. And it kind of puzzles me that they're in a division where the defense is essentially, a, he said they're the toughest. But, he, yeah. but that the, the strategy basically says you don't have to play the run game against us. You can just tee off on us uh, because we're not going to run the ball. I was just wondering if that's uh, something you thought about. Uh, what, does that make sense to you? What you say makes sense to me. I really hadn't thought about this before, but I definitely agree with you that, you know, not just a a division where they have good defenses, but, you know, the three teams that he mentioned, you know, certainly I can make a case for Miles Garrett to be the defensive player of the year in the NFL right now for three games. He's been unblockable. Uh, Yeah, Micah Parsons was a complete no-show yesterday for Dallas and, you know, we'd mentioned a few times last year that you didn't even know if Micah Parsons on was on the field in certain games. Uh, he has spectacular plays one week, and you don't know he's there the next week. And yesterday was pretty much one of those games you didn't even know he was there uh, in Glendale. Uh, but you know, basically back to the NF the uh, AFC North thing. You know, Garrett's been great. Obviously, T.J. Watt can uh, rush the quarterback, even though last night he couldn't quite get there. That was you know a little discouraging uh, and frustrating, I'm sure, is a better word. And then, obviously, the Ravens just kind of have a scheme uh, because they don't have a great pass rusher, uh, but they have very good linebackers, and uh, they've been able to kind of uh, disturb opponents through the first couple of games. I'm not sure exactly how that worked out yesterday, having not watched their game. I just saw some highlights after the game. Uh, But, uh, you know, those front sevens, either have a scheme or dominant players that can wreck an offense in a passing game. Yeah, and plus, Kansas City ultimately is their nemesis. And yeah. to me, you got to keep the Kansas City offense off the field as much as you can to minimize their effectiveness and to eliminate your exposure of your defense. And if you're not running the ball, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. You know, also, I can make a case that Kansas City's defense is the best it's been. Uh, it, well, you know, I shouldn't say this maybe after three games, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is the best Kansas City defense of this championship run that they've had. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Denver, I don't remember. It seems like Denver, they had a great defense, and but I don't remember if they made some deals or some trades to let go of defensive players in order to sign Russell Wilson or not. But 
I would never have expected the defense to give us 70 points. Well, that's true. But, you know, their defense wasn't very good at times last year. It was okay. Um, Statistically speaking, it was okay. And probably better than okay if you consider all the bad positions that that offense put put them in last year. But they've had some players that are expected to be big time. Sertan, for instance, he's been awful the last two weeks. Um, And uh, he's supposed to be a shutdown corner. He's been anything but. Uh, shut corn, shut down corner the last couple of weeks. He got torched two weeks ago by Terry McLaurin and Sam Howell. And then uh, yesterday, as I guess is going to be the case a lot of times, Jalen Waddle didn't even play that game yesterday for Miami. He was inactive because of the concussion a week before. And they still had 70 points and uh, you know over 700 yards uh, against Denver. So I can't imagine... Uh, yeah, obviously, Sean Payton, when Sean Payton says that he's at a loss for words and then he actually trashed the media and thought that was pretty bad, but I'm sure we'll get to that in the uh, during the extra point or some strategical point this week, but you know, they're a mess. So anyway, one last quick thing. I'm going to I got one more guy here. To, it's on hold. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Thanks no, that's time. all right, go ahead. No, you yeah, finish your thought there, sorry. No, I was just simply going to say, uh, Sean Payton, to me, has been positioning himself through this whole process to be the Teflon man. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's see how that works out, huh? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Thanks, okay, Bob. thanks. I appreciate it. Kayla, where am I going next? I'm sorry I was talking when you gave me. Vince, what's going on, Vince? Uh, yeah, I was interested in your reaction to the uh, coach's interview of Ryan Day after the uh, win over Notre Dame and his thing with uh, Lou Holtz. Uh, I thought it was great because there, there are a few people that think less of Lou Holtz um, He's a he was a tremendous coach for a while, uh, but and he won Notre Dame, helped win Notre Dame win a national championship when they had far lesser academic standards, and that's one of the reasons he ended up leaving Notre Dame because they increased the academic standards in Notre Dame as far as their football players go. They actually took what used to be called Prop 48s back in the day, and they built their national championship team around a couple of key players that were. You know, not academically, would not get into Notre Dame now. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought that, you know, I, I didn't even know that Holtz went on. I don't watch the, uh, what, what's that guy's name? He's just on, he's on right now. The the uh, ESPN, you know, the guy's everywhere. Is that McAfee? McAfee. Yeah, he went on McAfee's show the other day, and I guess he trashed Ohio State and said they weren't physical. And he's right, because if Ohio State had lost that game, Everybody would have been saying, well, they couldn't get third and one, fourth and one, which is true. And that's now happened for four consecutive games. But I actually thought that that was pretty funny because I just think uh, Lou Holtz, I just think he's full of crap. And I'll never, ever forgive him for basically lying to the media and everybody that Rocket Ismail was injured before that Orange Bowl game against uh, Colorado. And it turns out that he was going to play all along, and they had their they basically had their game plan centered around a guy that he said was not going to play because he was injured. I lost well, what, all respect I had for Lou Holtz then, and I'm not, it's never coming back. Well, what respect would he 
have today. He's 86 years old, and and he's been out of coaching. I mean, we're and he's biased toward Notre Dame. So well, no, that's for sure. Um, but uh, and not only, but I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him for that. But uh, yeah, he's still considered a somewhat of an expert, even though when he was doing television work on a regular basis, I never really took anything he took, said seriously. And like I said, I'm going back to 1989, but um, I completely uh, lost respect for him in that particular scenario. And it's never, well, and it's I'm, not going to be, it's not going to return ever. Brian Day has a 49 and six record as a coach. Is he under pressure to win more? Sure, sure. Can't lose those games, so, especially can't lose so, the Michigan two straight years. And they were so one in he, five. They were one. I gotta get going here. I apologize, but they were one in five against top five opponents away from Columbus in either the Michigan game or bowl games. The last six times they'd been in those situations, and quite frankly, let's face it, it got lucky as hell on Saturday night. And I'm sure we'll get into this in more detail during the extra point. All right, we'll come back and wrap up the sports zone. Next segment will be the national roundup. Get into some NFL for tonight and the upcoming week. Number four in the NFL, some latest line information for you. Extra point hosted by Kayla. Coming up in the next two hours, we'll get more into uh, some more analysis from the NFL and college football weekend. Certainly an entertaining Saturday in college football as we expected. Pretty dull NFL Sunday. I would think that's accurate to say, With uh, unless you're a Miami Dolphins fan. And uh, I don't know if they have a fight song or not. I would... If I knew it, I would sing it. But I don't know it. Thank God I don't have to sing it. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. It's time for today's National Roundup. Welcome back. Final segment of today's Sports Zone with Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060 and KISS Lux HD 2 100.7. Uh, let's get to the latest line. And earlier this hour, we talked with Charlie Goldsmith, the Cincinnati Inquirer. And obviously, a big part of that discussion was the availability, also known as availability, whether Joe Burrow is going to play or not tonight was the topic of discussion, the first one and a big one. And uh, the Las Vegas betting market, specifically the Las Vegas betting market or the state of Nevada betting market, I'm just, you know, guessing clearly believes he's going to because within the last 20 to 30 minutes, every casino in Las Vegas has now gone from two, two and a half. And I don't see anybody. And I'm talking, you know, South Point Circa, Golden Nugget, Westgate, Wynn, Station Properties, Caesars, the Mirage. Every one of them now has the Bengals a three-point favor in this game. So the betting market believes that he's going to play. We haven't seen anything from uh, you know, Rappaport or you know, ESPN or anybody um, you know, that indicates that there's been some kind of a, a you know, guess or official report. But the betting market's certainly on him. And the total's gone from 44 to 45. Uh, 45 at every casino that I just mentioned there. So it's 3 and 45. So that's the second game technically, of tonight's doubleheader. That's the one that starts second. Uh, the first game of the night is Philadelphia at Tampa Bay. And uh, today, uh, the Eagles, a consensus five-point favor in that game. And uh, the total in that game at 44.5. And, 
Yeah, I know people are kind of waiting for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers to crash, and I understand that totally. But the Eagles certainly have not played anywhere near their level that we saw last season. They've been good enough to get through the first two games with victories over New England and Minnesota, but um, I don't trust the Eagles quite yet. I'm not buying into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who I thought would be the worst team in the division before the season started, and I'm not going to change my tune on that after two weeks. Uh, Looking ahead to this upcoming Sunday in week number four of the NFL, the uh, Cardinals uh, for a second consecutive week will be a double-digit road. uh, Well, in this case, they'll be a double-digit underdog this time on the road against the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, you know, before the game yesterday, the 49ers were 15, uh, even a couple of 15-and-a-half-point favorites against the Cardinals on Sunday. But after the Cardinals' victory yesterday, uh, that line is universally, pretty much worldwide, dropped to a 14-point game with San Francisco, the favorite, in Santa Clara on Sunday against the Cardinals, who have a one-game winning streak after last night's or yesterday afternoon's impressive victory over the Dallas Cowboys. All right, next two hours, it's the extra point. This is that's it for the Sports Zone for today. Uh, well, uh, Kayla, of course, hosting the extra point. We will go through uh, many college games from Saturday and uh, you know, as many NFL games as we can get to. We'll have more phone call time: 602-260-1060. This has been the Sports Zone with Bob Kemp. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. As I mentioned, the Extra Point hosted by Kayla coming up next. Next.